Today's scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any, any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dave, for reading for us this morning. Thank you, Allison and team, for leading us in our worship. Don't you appreciate the job that they do every Sunday for us, just leading us in worship? So thank you. Well, good morning, Trinity. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. So glad to welcome you here and see you here this morning. Thanks for participating in our time of worship together today. I mentioned to the first service how... Uh, Excited I am for some of the things coming up this fall. You've heard about this, the Abbey Mason concert in September and then the uh, fall celebration in October, the end of October, which is connected, by the way, with uh, the mention of Tate Elementary, and Nick just prayed for that, our ministry there at Tate, which, by the, can you believe it, they're starting school tomorrow? August 1 today, August 2 tomorrow. It's the first day of school for a lot of our schools around here, for our students, but um, we're going to be really active, hopefully much more so this year. We've been praying about this and, and open for open doors. And that event, the fall celebration, we are, we are inviting and asking those families and kids at Tate to come. We're going to put on a, have our service outside down to 53 at the Jeep Fest area. That's where we're going to worship and that's where we're going to invite people in. We're going to have inflatables and cotton candy and snow cones and everything the kids and families love. And we're going to do that in the name of Jesus and giving the gospel in creative ways. And so put that on your calendar, mark that. We're going to need everybody at Trinity involved in helping in some way. So you're going to hear us asking you, telling you ways you can be involved to help us make that happen. But um, it's going to be a great day for us to, to reach out to our community right here in uh, Marble Hill and Tate and Jasper area. So be in prayer about that too, that God would give us those open doors and bring people to hear the gospel that day. So for now, let's pause for a minute. Let's pray once again, and we dive into this wonderful passage in Acts 9. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together today. Thank you for your word. I thank you for each person, not only that's here in this building, but those who may be watching online or watching this service after the fact. Lord, whatever connection we have in this moment or the moments to come, we thank you for your word that speaks to us, that's eternal, that 
represents you as our God who is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Lord, I pray that your word would do its work in us today. Help us as we come just to be ready to be um, challenged and, and changed by your living word and your spirit. I pray that you would guard my words and help me to accurately communicate what you once said and communicated to us, for us today. And Lord, we do pray for those in our congregation that are struggling, for hurting. We pray for Francis Harris, for Gail Rice, and they're struggling through health issues in the hospital. And um, just as Jason prayed earlier, we pray for, for Tony and her loss, just ministered her comfort and peace. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would, you would just speak to us what we need to hear, Lord, that whether that's comfort, whether that's uh, encouragement, whether that's the, the challenge of a, the next thing that you have for us, that we would be listening and then ready to respond. And we give you this time. This is our worship of you as we interact with your word. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So I'd like to begin this morning with a, a personal story, one that maybe some of you have heard me share somewhere along the way here, but it's so fitting for our, <clears throat> our passage today, I wanted to share it again. The, uh, the, the time frame goes all the way back to 1980, summer of 1980. And uh, I was right in between my second and third year of college, and I was part of a music team, a ministry team for our college. You maybe heard me mention that. Beth was on the team as well. So we would go out in the summer when we weren't in school. We would tour for four, six, eight weeks, you know, up and down the East Coast. We'd go into churches and do concerts and just whatever ministry was needed there, and we would stay in the homes of people in the church. They would just house us for the night. That's how we made our way around the country. And so you know how it is if you're a college student and a different place every night, you're getting asked the same questions over and over. So it's, what are you majoring in? You know, what do you, you, know, what do you love doing at Kenton College? And, and the key question, what do you plan to do after you graduate, right? It's one of those questions that a lot of college students dread. Some love it because they kind of already have their plans and already know. And I kind of had all my stock answers for those questions, just kind of roll them off night after night in different homes. But one particular night that summer, I don't even remember where it was, but it was, I can almost picture the, the living room sitting on somebody's couch. And somebody asked that same question, what are you going to do after graduation? But the answer that rolled off my tongue was not one that I had said before or that I had planned to say even that night. Because when they asked, I said, I think God wants me to go into full-time ministry. And it just kind of caught me off guard and I, I thought about it afterwards. I, I realized that was God speaking to me, calling me through my own voice. And it was so significant in my life. You just have to understand, here I am, still pretty immature, midway through college student, but my plans changed. The plans for what was coming up that next semester, what I was doing in college, what I was majoring in college, what I was planning to do after, all that, all those answers changed that moment, that night, God spoke to me, called me through my own voice. Now, a lot of times when we think about, we talk about the call of God, it's something like that. It's some kind of life-changing, you know, uh, amazing, out-of-the-blue kind of call that comes. And, and that's what we have in our passage with Saul this morning, right? We just heard that read. But sometimes the call of God is also in the moment, and for a moment, and maybe for just one next thing in our life. 
So sometimes it's the big life direction, you know, ministry, spouse, uh, you know, those big decisions of life. But sometimes the call of God comes in the moment and for the moment. And we're going to see both in our passage here this morning in the book of Acts. So I invite you to that book of Acts. If you're not there already, take your Bibles, turn please to Acts chapter 9 that you heard a moment ago. Our series in Acts is titled To the Ends of the Earth. If you're just jumping in, welcome aboard. We're in Acts chapter 9. We've seen already through nine chapters the gospel is spreading, the church is growing, and today's message of titled Answering the Call because we're going to see in a few different characters how they responded to the call of God in their lives and to remember this too, that when we look in the Bible, this applies not just this morning but all the time, this is not just stories for us to see what happened to those characters of old. Because God is working in the same way today. He's working in our lives today. So this is not just about God calling them. It's about God's call on us. We've already heard the conversion story of Saul read those first nine verses. And Saul is our first example. We're going to have three this morning. Saul is the first. And what we learn about Saul is that there's a call to radical change. It's clear in Paul's life, this was big, this was life-altering, and it happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. You know, what? take you to another zone here for a moment. Any Star Wars fans in the room that are willing to admit it? (laughs) One of the scenes I love from all the, how many uh, Star Wars movies there are, I don't even remember now, but one of the scenes I love is, is Obi-Wan, who's one of the, the uh, Jedi Knights, he's in this bar, and this, this guy, a weird guy, is coming up and kind of bothering him, trying to sell him death sticks. And so he uses the force, he just kind of does this little wave of his hand, and he says, you don't want to sell me death sticks. And the guy is sitting next to him, he just kind of, he says, I don't want to sell you death sticks. And then he, he looks at me and he says, you want to go home and rethink your life? And the guy next to him says, I want to go home and rethink my life. And he gets up and he walks out. And that's not exactly what happens to Saul, okay? So I'm not making that exact parallel. But the idea, that phrase of go home and rethink your life, that's what happened to Saul. He had to rethink everything about his life, everything that he had been taught, everything he'd learned, everything he believed. It was all now called into question by this experience on the road to Damascus. Think about this for a minute. Paul, Saul was a devout Pharisee. He was trained by the famous Pharisee Gamaliel. He was the one leading this persecution against the church in Jerusalem. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Saul is the one leading the charge. And he's not even satisfied with just imprisoning Christians in Jerusalem. Now, as we get to chapter 9, he's pursuing them. Remember, we've talked about how they've been fleeing to Judea and Samaria. They've gone as far as Syria and Damascus. And Saul chases him down there. So look at this map for just a second so you see the the significance of this. There's Jerusalem way down to the south. You have the purple line weaving all the way up to Damascus, 135 miles plus away. Now, that's not much if you're jumping in your car, but if you're traveling as they traveled on that day, that's a long way to go just to find some Christians and drag them back as prisoners. But that's what Saul's doing here. 
but he stopped along the way. Somewhere there, probably somewhere fairly close to Damascus, this experience that you just heard read happens to Saul. And it's interesting, it's, it's probably one of the most famous and dramatic conversions in the Bible. And what we know is it wasn't a dream, it wasn't a vision. Because his travel companions hear this voice, hear this sound as well. And Jesus himself confronts Saul. And the question, the key question he asks is, why are you persecuting me? Now, don't pass by that without, missing, without getting the significance of that. Jesus in that moment, is identifying with every one of those persecuted Christians. Anything that was happening to them was happening to Jesus. And that's true for us today. Anything that you suffer for the sake of Christ, Jesus is suffering that with you, right beside you. And He, he explains that to Saul, as, why are you persecuting me? Because the persecution against the church of Christ was a persecution against Christ Himself He confronts Saul, and Saul is left after this experience blind and helpless. His friends drag him to Damascus, and he's told to wait there to see what would happen next. And this waiting is significant. Three days he sits there. Now think about everything that was going on in his mind. Just try to put yourself in in Saul's shoes for a moment and to, to think about what was turned ups and down for him. Before this experience on the road to Damascus, Saul believed that Jesus was a fraud and that Jesus was dead. He he'd died as a criminal. And that those who were following him, these Christians, were heretics. Saul also believed that it was God's will for him to go find them and put them in prison and squelch this movement. That's what Saul believed. But on this road, he has this experience, and for any devout Jew, if, if light came from heaven and a voice came from heaven, you knew it was God. So he knew in this moment, this is God speaking to him. But notice how that changed everything that he thought he believed, because now he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him. I am Jesus. He identifies himself. So this is the voice of God, the voice of Jesus. So Jesus was not a fraud. He was God himself. And in this moment, he realizes Jesus is not dead. He's very much alive and speaking to me. And in this moment, he realizes these Christians he's pursuing are not heretics. They actually have the truth. And he also realized that what he'd been doing was not helping God. He'd been opposing God. All this, Saul is now processing as he can't see anything else. In his blindness, he is processing the change of everything he thought was true. He is rethinking his life. So God sent Ananias. And by the time he comes, three days later, Saul is ready to believe. He's ready to follow. He's ready to embrace this new life. We're going to pick up the text in verse 15. This is how God sends Ananias to Saul. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
See what's going on here? The blindness was partially to get Saul's attention, I'm sure, but it was also a spiritual metaphor, right? Saul had been blind, but now his eyes are being opened up to this truth of God. Now he knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows that He's the promised Messiah, and that identity of Jesus now changes everything for Saul. His life is radically transformed. Now, to personalize this, we look at this and we think, well, my conversion experience wasn't nearly as dramatic as Saul's. And that's probably true for almost all of us sitting here. But here's the reality. Even if your conversion experience wasn't that dramatic, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, a miracle has happened in your life. Every salvation is a miracle, right? You've been radically transformed, changed. The righteousness of Christ has been put upon you. That's a miracle. So just as dramatic as Saul's conversion on the road is your salvation in God's eyes. And here's the sub-point that I want to add to our point about radical change. It's Jesus that changes everything. That's why it changes. That's where the change comes from. It's from Jesus Himself. His presence in your life is what changes everything. I'm going through uh, Paul Tripp's devotional book, New Morning Mercies. I've mentioned this to you before and quoted from it before. Our uh, Thursday morning men's group in our neighborhood is going through that. Scott, one of my friends and neighbors, right, is right here this morning up in the front row. He's part of our group. and we're, Every week we look through the seven devotionals for that week. And just this past Friday, I basically had already been kind of finished preparing this message, and I ran into this this Friday, in this Friday's devotional, this statement, and it just jumped out at me because of what we read about Saul in this passage in Acts 9. Paul Tripp says, no one has been chosen to be just a recipient of the redemptive work of his kingdom, God's kingdom. No, Everyone who has been chosen to be a recipient has also been commissioned to be an instrument of the work of that kingdom as well. See what he's saying? And this is exactly what was said of Saul too. Not just the recipient of salvation, but a call to live out and serve that kingdom of God and His purposes. And so that's why when Saul hears this message from Ananias, And when God speaks to Ananias, He says, this is my chosen instrument, speaking of Saul. You, too, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not just saved to be saved. You're saved to be chosen. So, Saul is walking through this. His whole life direction has changed because he's now on the other team. The quarterback, long-term quarterback of the New England Patriots used to be Tom Brady. 20 years, 20 seasons with that same team. And I didn't think this would ever happen, but last year, sure enough, he left the Patriots and started playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this seems so strange to see him in a different outfit, you know, the, the red uniform. And, and think about how this is different. If you're a quarterback, the whole system is different. The plays are different. Your uniform's a different color. You're living in a different city. 
You're playing with a whole different group of players, so he's handing the ball off to different guys. He's throwing the ball to different guys. He's being protected by different guys. Everything has changed except maybe his number. He got to keep the number 12. Everything else is different because he's on a new team. Saul has just gone on the other team. For all those years he served as a Pharisee, he is now on Team Jesus, and everything changes for him. And if you've been saved by Jesus, then you've been drafted to a new team as well. And you have a mission on that team. You have a calling. You know, Beth was, told me, she was talking to one of our women here in the women's ministry at Trinity just recently, and, and uh, she uh, shared with her that she felt God was calling her to just dig into the Word a little bit more, get more in, in study of God's Word and learn more about Him in His Word. And you might think, well, that's just kind of obvious, it's kind of that, that's ordinary, that I say to you, that's an extraordinary life-changing call. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. It is a call to get into God's Word and learn more about Him and know, know it for ourselves and be able to share it with others. All that is part of our call and commission as believers. And I love it that this person was talking to Beth, got that, understood that and is diving into that. That's your mission. Those are the callings we get because of being on Team Jesus. So here's Saul. He's now playing for a new team. It's a new calling. His life has changed. And in fact, his call comes right on the heels of his salvation, right? So Ananias comes and he comes with his word that he is going to be sent to the Gentiles. He's going to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And the whole, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see that unfold. Saul's call for life unfolds right before us in the book of Acts. And it was a calling that Saul, as a strict Pharisee, could have never imagined, could have never anticipated. God stepped into his life, and there was radical change because Jesus changes everything. There's somebody else in the story, though. I've mentioned him. Our second example here in our passage. And here we have the police. So Ananias knows the Lord, but he has a call now to step out and serve the Lord in this really particular way. Back to verse 10, you see a little bit of explanation of him. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Which, by the way, when the Lord calls, that's a good answer. Yes, Lord. If you saw the video yesterday and you saw Beth not answering God's call when it came, that's not the right way. Don't ignore his call. Say, yes, Lord. So Ananias does. He says, yes. But look what God asks of him. Verse 11, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, Think about this. We don't know much more about Ananias, but we can kind of imagine because he knew about Saul, and he knew what was coming here, and he had serious reservations about what God is asking him to do here. Look at verse 13. Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now, notice Ananias doesn't say, right, he doesn't come right out and say, no, God, I'm not going to do this, but he explains why this is a difficult ask. He expresses his doubt, his discomfort with this plan, 
But the Lord explains this. The text goes through and He explains this. As we read a moment ago, this is my call on Saul's life. Here's what I've called him to. He's what, what needs to happen in his life. And so hearing that, Ananias doesn't offer another argument, doesn't say another word. He goes straight to straight street and he obeys. Now, think about this. Could God have healed Saul's blindness without Ananias? Of course he could have. He didn't need Ananias to go to Saul to open his eyes. So why does God do this? Why does He call Ananias to what would have been a rather difficult, maybe even dangerous action? Well, there's maybe a number of reasons, but let me give you two here. The first, I think, is probably because there needed to be a connection between Saul and what would become his new church family, right? So Ananias comes as a representative of those Christians in Damascus who were hiding from Saul because they thought he was coming to arrest them. But now that Saul's been converted, they need to accept him. So Ananias becomes the one to, to be there and recognize that his conversion is authentic. That's one reason. But I think there's another reason. God is working on Ananias here too. Isn't it amazing how God does this all the time, right? God doesn't just have one project at a time. He's working on all of us here in this room all at the same time. And so while he's calling Saul to this new ministry and changing his life, he's also stretching Ananias, who's already a believer, but who needs his faith enlarged. And it's going to grow as he's obedient, as he does what God asks him to do, and he sees God answer that prayer. It's fascinating, beautiful. And what it shows us, our sub-point here is that God uses anyone. Sometimes it's an uncomfortable assignment that God gives us, but it reminds us that God wants to use us, will use us, can use us, no matter who we are, no matter what He asks us to do. God can use anyone. What is that uncomfortable obedience that God is asking of you? Kind of personalize this for a minute here because, you know, it's not always, it's not always the big thing. Sometimes it is big. Sometimes it's little things too, right? Sometimes just maybe being obedient to go to that person, to talk to that person that you know it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. N- maybe it's just to to make something right that went wrong, restoring a relationship. Maybe God does open an opportunity, and it's not something you were expecting, not something you were looking for, and He just asks you to be obedient, to step into it. So, great example. Just a few weeks ago, we put this out. We told you that there was a need for our our missionaries down in Honduras that uh, Michael and Karen Vincent were going through some things, struggling with some things. We put the need out to our, our missions committee. We talked about it, you know, how can we help them? Bert and Kim Boudet felt God calling them to go. Now, that's not an easy response. When, when God called them to that, it meant setting things aside. For Bert, it meant leaving work for 10 days. It meant traveling at a time when travel is not easy right now, right? The COVID concerns, especially going to uh, somewhere in Central South America. And... But they obeyed. Not easy. Not comfortable. But they went. And 
that's the call sometimes. And next Sunday, we're going to hear from them a little bit about what God did, how God used them. Some amazing stories of why God needed them, why God chose them, why they were the ones from Trinity that needed to be there, and why it needed to be that week they were there. All that was in God's hands. God knew that, even though we didn't. It's trusting that. It's trusting God's plan. Bert and Kim had to decide that they were going to be obedient even if it was difficult, uncomfortable, inconvenient. And Ananias shows us too this uncomfortable obedience. And what happens because of his obedience? God uses him to commission the guy that would become the greatest missionary in the early church, the guy who would spread the gospel all over Asia Minor and all the way to Rome because Ananias was obedient. There's one more person I want to focus on, but let me give you a quick recap. Let's follow the story here, kind of connect the dots. What happened to Saul after this conversion? Well, there's a sense of this dramatic turnaround, this change in his life that comes already. Verse, second half of verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Luke doesn't mention it here, but Paul later writes in Galatians 1, about this time when he was Saul, before he became Paul, we're going to see that later come, happen later in Acts, that he, God took him into the wilderness. So sometime while he's in Damascus, God takes him out of the city into the wilderness, just time for him alone, just like Jesus did in the desert. And there probably is this kind of confirmation of his message and his call and all that. So he goes back to Damascus, and that's where Luke picks up the story. He's in Damascus preaching and now he begins to get opposition. So now he's not the one arresting Christians. Now the Jews want to arrest him, Saul, and there's a plot to take his life. So he has to escape the city by being lowered over the wall in a basket. What a difference, right? Saul comes as this leading Pharisee, you know, marching with his contingent, whatever it was, we're going to take Damascus by storm and, and uh, arrest all these Christians, and he leaves Damascus being lifted over the wall in a basket to escape with his life. And so he goes now back to Jerusalem. He's going to meet the apostles. He's going to meet the church, the very church he'd been persecuting. He goes back. Look at verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Well, that, that's not very surprising, right? This guy's just pretending this is all a fake. He's pretending to be a Christian so that he can get in and find out who we are and where we are and where we meet, and then he's going to turn on us all and arrest us. That's, I'm sure that was the mindset. So everybody's afraid of Saul. Nah, this is just a ruse here. And so the Jews no longer want Saul. The Christians don't trust Saul. He's a man without a country. Enter Joseph. Joseph. Who's Joseph? Well, remember the believers called him Barnabas. That's the name we know him by. Barnabas, the name means son of encouragement. And here he is using his gift right here, verse 27. But Barnabas took him, meaning Saul, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. you got to love Barnabas, right? This 
this ministry, we're going to see him do this many more times through the book of Acts. But in this case right here, he comes alongside Saul and puts his arm around him and says, I believe you, Saul. In fact, let me, let me take you in the room. Let me introduce you to everybody. And he goes in and he vouches for him. He tells his story. He says, this guy's the real deal. Now, think about what this required. Because Barnabas knew as well as anybody else all the damage that Saul had already done. In fact, Barnabas probably knew people who had been arrested and beaten and imprisoned by Saul himself. He knew that. They were probably some of his friends, maybe some of his relatives. He could have easily held a grudge and said, no, I don't care. I don't care what he says. We're not letting this guy in the mix. Think of all the things he did to us. But he doesn't. Barnabas encourages through forgiveness. And that encouragement blessed Saul. It blessed the church. It blessed the mission efforts that would flow after all this. So Barnabas is our third character, third lesson. It's the call to encouraging forgiveness. Maybe we can get it up on the screen here. The call to encouraging forgiveness. You know, if you have this gift of encouragement and exhortation, we need that gift. Not, not just here at Trinity. Every church needs that gift. You usually need to bless others with those words of encouragement. Often the encouragers, the people with the gift of exhortation, are the ones who are quick to forgive, quick to trust, to rebuild trust in somebody. And we need that because so many of us are, tend to be skeptics we need the encouragers to overcome that skepticism. We need people who will set aside fear, who will trust God's ability, that He can radically change a life, and He does it often. People who realize the forgiveness of God. And that's why our subpoint here is Jesus forgives everything. Jesus forgives everything. That's why encouraging forgiveness is needed on our part toward others because we have been forgiven. And Barnabas looks at Saul and he realizes this is a man who's been forgiven by God. How could we do anything but forgive him? He puts his arm around him and brings him in to the fellowship. That's encouraging forgiveness. Some of you have met, I'm sure, Cindy Gantz who works here at Trinity as our administrative assistant here, has been so faithful in that job for many years and um, such a help to all the rest of us on staff. If you've never met Cindy, just come in someday during the week just to meet her. She's just precious. And, and her husband, she and her husband both, her husband Kevin, have been involved in young life for years since their kids were younger. And Kevin especially, getting involved with some of the young guys at, at uh, the high school in Cherokee County. And one particular student that Cindy and Kevin have told me about that Kevin came alongside of who uh, he spent a lot of time, Kevin poured into him, mentoring him, you know, serving him, loving on him. And this kid seemed to be coming along, but after high school, he just kind of went off the edge, went off the deep end, got in trouble, got thrown into prison. And at that point, you know, you would think, you would, uh, you know, if you're Kevin, you begin to maybe think, well, all that time and effort that I poured into that kid and he just wasted it all. You know, let's move on to somebody else. Just let him be. But Kevin didn't do that. He kept visiting him in prison, kept praying for him, kept sending him letters, 
When this kid a little while ago got out of prison, Kevin just continued to minister to him, encourage him. Now, there's every reason that he would not have forgiven him and just written that kid off, but he didn't. He forgave him, and he continues to encourage him. And that's a Barnabas. That's what we see here, and that's what we need in the church, those opportunities that God gives us to forgive and to encourage. Barnabas forgave Saul's past, helped him connect with the church. But the Jewish opposition still caught up with him. Kind of finishing out the passage here that we're covering this morning, Acts 9, verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So here it is again, another death threat. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, which is back to his hometown. But despite this ongoing persecution that's going on here, what we see is the fledgling church continuing to grow spiritually and numerically. So verse 31, where we're in today, this key summary of the state of the church. I love this. Then the church throughout Judea and Samaria and Galilee enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So as these believers are still faithful, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the dangers, they continue to spread the gospel, the name of Jesus. And the church keeps growing. And the church keeps spreading. And God keeps blessing. Obedience to God's call. What is God calling you to this morning? So as we finish, just a reminder here of these three examples we've seen. Is God calling you to radical change like Saul? So maybe you're here this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, then that's the decision you need to make. And, and like Saul, you need to ask Jesus to come in and change everything. He will change your, the direction of your life. Or maybe you know Him already, but it's just to follow Him in some new redirection, something else that you know He's calling you to that's a pretty big change in your life. But you need to do it because you're on team Jesus and that's your focus and your priority now. Maybe, secondly, maybe he's calling you to uncomfortable obedience. So maybe it's in the moment. Maybe there's something God, you know, he's, he's pressing on you to do now. He's asking you to move past your fears and to step out in faith. Answer that call in obedience. Or maybe he's calling you to encouraging forgiveness like Barnabas. Maybe he's asking you to love someone in your life that's hard to love. Maybe he's asking you to forgive something that's going to be hard to forgive. And maybe he wants you to encourage somebody who just desperately needs that word of encouragement. What is he calling you to today? Now, we're coming to the Lord's table this morning, so thankful we can serve it and celebrate it back to the normal, more normal way we have in the past. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But as we come to the table, I want you to remember one thing, is that Jesus on that last supper, he was not just giving his disciples a way to remember him. It was, that was part of it. But that last supper was also a commissioning for them of what was coming next, their job moving forward. So let me show you a passage here in John 14. We'll put it up on the screen. John 14. This is in the upper room. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Very, tru very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. 
And the disciples in the upper room must have been incredulous. They're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, we've, saw, we've seen what you did, the miracles you did. There's no way we're going to do th- something more than you. But the whole book of Acts shows us that's exactly what happened. Jesus continued to work through his followers, doing miracles, spreading the gospel, proclaiming the truth. Everything Jesus did, they did it too. And it's still true today. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are called to do what Jesus did, to spread the truth about Him, to love our world and to bring the gospel of salvation. That's our call. That's our commission. And it comes because of this table, because of what Jesus has done for us. So this morning as we come to the table, I'm going to invite you to celebrate and remember what Jesus did for you, but also to contemplate and consider what He's now calling you to do because of what He's done for you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come this morning, we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that You engage us in our lives. You break into our lives. You call us. You call us to salvation. You call us to obedience. You call us for life. You call us in the moment. Sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's just little things. Lord, you call us to step out like Barnabas and and encourage others, to forgive others, to show your grace to our world around us. So, Lord, we thank you for that calling. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, by your Spirit, give us all that we need to be obedient to that call. Not in and of ourselves, not in our strength, not by our will, but by your work in us and through us. So, Lord Jesus, thank you. As we come to the table this morning, thank you that we can celebrate that, we can proclaim your name, and we can serve in your name. The name of Jesus, our Messiah, in whose name we pray. Amen.